This is Utterly Nonsense, and for the last time in 2019, I'd like to say thank you all for listening. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We hope you stay a while. Check out all of the content we've got on all of our various audio platforms. Check us out on YouTube. Subscribe there. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Post a review if you're so inclined. We always like reading new reviews. And we hope you had a great last year, a great last decade. And we look forward to what's in store for us and for everybody in the new one that begins in 2020. So without further ado, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this, welcome. It is the end of the decade, two decades into this millennium, and you are listening to Utterly Nonsense. The New Year's Eve spectacular of Utterly Nonsense. I bet you thought you'd never hear that. Yeah, I and feel it's like... hosted by Ryan Seacrest. No, it's not. No, it's Carson Daly, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I feel like our voices both just cracked insanely throughout that intro. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll try to uh, just cut out all the cracking, <laughs> if possible. I It's not going to happen, but uh, let's get into it, shall we? Our top tens of the 2010s. Our top ten movies in a variety of categories, mostly related to the things we talk about. So, of course, those categories will be top ten comic book movies and when i say comic book i specifically mean superhero so i don't mean things like uh let's say edge of tomorrow that's based on a graphic novel alita battle angel is uh 300 is see that i actually didn't know (laughs) yeah those are all based on uh either manga or graphic novels well yeah alita and 300 are obvious but uh uh edge of tomorrow i didn't know but i'm not including those as superhero movies I feel like uh, Edge of Tomorrow could be included as both sci-fi or action, speaking of which science fiction and action are our other two categories. Correct. So uh, let's dive into this, because uh, I had quite a time uh, building these lists together. Um, do right. you want to go first? or uh, What do we want to start with? Which uh, category? Well, let's go with superhero films, since we introduced it first. I guess I can start then. I will start with number 10. Deadpool slash Deadpool 2. Now, the reason I do that is because I think they were both equally good. When I saw them, I didn't think one was really better than the other. I think if you like the second one, or if you like the first one, you like the second one just as much. And it's a different enough movie from the whole pack. And that's something I think you'll kind of see with my list. I try to get a variety of different types. Yeah, that's how I tried to build mine. Yeah, throughout the so yeah. I thought it stood alone enough to the point where it could be on the list, and yeah, so it makes the spot number ten, Deadpool or Deadpool two. Uh, number ten for me is Aquaman, partially because I, I I needed to include a DC film on this list just to make it legitimate. Uh, partially because I think it is the best DC extended universe film to date. Uh, you know, I know there's some controversy about that. Obviously, like there's a lot of people who defend BVS. There's a lot of people who defend uh, Shazam. Uh, for me, Aquaman is just an incredibly underrated film. Um, Jason Momoa is fantastic in the role. The plot really plays like this whole sh- sort of Shakespearean drama. And it's just a really well-made movie that no one really talks about. Yeah, I figured it would be on your list because I remember you ta- saying that it was like your favorite DC movie. Yep. I can roll with that. Number nine. X-Men Days of Future Past. I think that could definitively be the best of the mainline X-Men movies. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Just because of the way it unites the two casts. I think that's what I like most about it, is the way it crosses over the generations. 
And you have a lot of cool scenes, of course. Yeah, obviously the whole Quicksilver scene is still like one of the best scenes from the entire X-Men canon. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, for real. And one thing I really liked was when Magneto uses the metal from the train to weave through the Sentinels and then control them. I thought that was a really creative way of showing his power. Okay, my number nine is Kick-Ass. Uh, mm. One that you really don't think about too much since we tend to focus a lot on Marvel and DC. Uh, I, I actually don't know who the publisher is for Kick-Ass. I think it's like Dark Horse or I, I, I might be completely far off on that. But uh, I, first of all, I think uh, Matthew Vaughn, incredibly talented director. This was really one of his first breakout movies. Um, I think he had like one other movie before Kick-Ass. But, uh, you know, it, it sort of plays with the idea of heroes existing in real life that, uh, you know, was sort of made famous with Watchmen. But, uh, you know, Watchmen obviously came out in uh, 2007, I think it was. So it could have uh, made it on my list. But yeah, I mean, it, you have this sort of hyper violent version of real life superheroes. It's funny. It's fun. It's just one of these entertaining movies. Um, You're going to get a kick out of, out of this. According to Wikipedia, the original kick ass novel was published by Marvel. It was. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I still don't really think of it as a Marvel movie by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no. no. Obviously, no, Marvel no Studios wasn't behind it. I mean, would you consider The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen a DC movie? And I, I'd consider. I think that's Vertigo. Actually, is I, I yeah, mean, obviously, Vertigo it's not more property. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's sort of reaching to call it DC. It's like calling V for Vendetta a DC movie. Sure. Yeah. Which uh, Watchmen? I think you could make that claim a little more now, just because of the both the TV series and well, not even the TV series. Uh, Doomsday Clock obviously uh, connects it to the main DC continuity. Whatever. Yeah. Remember two years ago when we were talking about Doomsday Clock and it just finished its last issue. I, so I finished it. Last issue was fantastic. The whole run was fantastic. It just shouldn't have taken two fucking years to come out. Yeah, seriously. I've been waiting for the collected edition. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, hopefully that it's comes out good. soon. Okay, um, number eight. All right, number eight. Captain America, the first Avenger. Okay, so I will say I was torn. I wanted to put that on my list. I wanted to put that closer to the bottom. It just did not find its way on here. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually the best cap movie. Um, it, it's actually very like I, I can definitely see why you included it on the list. And I do kind of like it better than Winter Soldier because it I don't know, it just fits the tone more for me. Like I know Winter Soldier is the whole modern spy kind of thing. But First Avenger is like, I don't know, it, it, it's classic to me. It has that whole buildup of him, you know, as the little guy becoming the strong guy. And you see when they're using him. Essentially, as just like a uh, an advertisement for the military, you know, when he's on stage. Yeah, that's like period accurate too. Like you, you look at like just so many entertainers from that period were basically propaganda artists. Like Dr. Seuss was famous for making uh, political cartoons about like Hitler just being this super evil dude, and uh, probably don't need to explain what a propaganda artist did in that time period. But uh, yeah, no, that's very period specific. And I also liked the uh, the whole theme song that went along with that. You know, the who's strong and brave here to save the American way. That and the end theme. The end theme by Alan Silvestri, I think I'm going to say. The orchestra. Yeah, sounds right. Sure. Pretty memorable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see why you put it on there. Okay, so my number eight, and I, I feel like this is probably going to be higher on your list. I feel like this is going to piss off people for it not being higher on my list, but uh, Avengers Endgame is my number eight. And I, I feel like I don't need to explain why it's on the list. You have this massive culmination of the entire franchise. Um, the reason it's not higher on my list is because a as an individual film, first of all, it doesn't really work as an individual film. If you've never seen any other MCU film... You're not going to get this. It's just uh, it's made for the fans, which some people see as a positive. I see as sort of counterproductive to the whole genre. I will say this. It is on my list, but I included it in the same number as Endgame because to me, those are parts one and two. Because if you remember a while ago. Oh, you mean Infinity War? Yeah. Yeah, Infinity War. Because oh, before those movies got their official titles, they were just called Infinity Wars part one and two. And obviously, they were filmed back to back. So to me, they're all part of one movie. Okay, fair enough. Number seven. Shazam! Why do I like Shazam? Because I couldn't find a single reason to frown throughout the whole thing. I liked the trailer going into it. I liked the whole movie. And I especially liked the ending of spoilers if you haven't seen it. It came out back in April, I think. So you're late to that one. 
how he brings in his whole family as all the Shazam kids. I did not expect that. Yeah, it was a nice twist. But it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, so I, I do enjoy Shazam. I love the humor of it, but it, it, for me, it doesn't really stand out. It's going to be something that, given a couple years, I'm probably not going to remember it all too well. It's it's just not, it didn't really leave a profound impact on me. It, of course, it's something I enjoy. Zach Levi gave a surprisingly good performance. But, you know, it, at the same time, it really didn't do anything new with the genre. So for me to narrow down my films to the top 10 uh, and to include something that sort of comical, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it isn't that high up on my list. For, like, well, what I thought yeah. it did is it kind of was like a PG Deadpool, right? Because Deadpool was a whole kind of kind of mocking style of the genre, but it was rated R. And I thought Shazam was also kind of mocking the genre, but, you know, it was more kid with it, even though there's these scary demon things in it yeah. that eat people. No, there's some, like, straight-up horror movie uh, vibes in both that and Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. And that tends to happen when you have horror directors directing these mainstream movies. You know, they try to inject <laughs> know, a little right? bit of their style to it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so uh, what's my number seven? My number seven is Days of Future Past, which we already talked about, so I'm not going to really lean into it too much. I think people can see why it's on my list. I think people can see why it's at this point on my list. Yeah, I don't really have too much to say other than uh, what we said before. Uh, So let's move on to number six. Number six. Thor Ragnarok. My favorite of all the Thor movies. I I don't just like it for the humor. I like it for the whole aesthetic of it, of how it's... You know, essentially the Gladiator Planet movie. Everything comic book sci-fi eventually has a Gladiator Planet episode, right? We have Planet Hulk, the Ninja Turtles go into um, the Battle Nexus. There's always going to be something like that. And it's not tiring to me yet. And I thought they did, of course, did it well. Yeah, I mean, Taika Waititi was fantastic, like, throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and the whole uh, dynamic duo thing that Thor and Hulk had going on, it worked for me. Yeah. I, I will say, I think it's the kind of thing that even after you get past the humor of it all, it's, it does work well as a traumatic feature. And, you know, um, it, it does sort of reinvent the character, too, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Like, you really don't see this comical side of Thor all too much. Yeah, my favorite scene of that is when he's talking to Odin in whatever that vision, afterlife vision is. And he says, what are you, the god of hammers? What are you, the god of? And then you hear, like, the thunder, and he awakens, and he summons the lightning. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's got to be on the list just for that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's got some really cool scenes for sure. Um, so my number six is Spider-Man Homecoming, which I, I feel like you're probably going to disagree with. Um, <laughs> well, I still haven't seen it, but I expected oh, it to a, be on your okay. list. Yeah, you should see it. Um, so first of all, I, I do sort of go back between this and Far From Home. Far From Home, for what it's worth, is not on the list, despite the fact that it is sort of on par with Spider-Man Homecoming for me. I feel like it would be overkill to include both of them. And that's also why Into the Spider-Verse is not on the list. So the reason Homecoming is on the list, well, first of all, I think Tom Holland's just the best casting of Peter Parker we've ever seen. And I know that's controversial to anyone who did grow up with the Raimi trilogy. Obviously, I love Tobey Maguire in the role too. But, you know, for me, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man when I see and when I think of Peter Parker, that's it. Um, And yeah, so obviously, you know, you have this sort of MCU centric Spider-Man. So to balance both the themes of the MCU, to balance the overall arc of the MCU with this version of Spider-Man is hard to do. They pretty much nailed it. And even seeing uh, Iron Man as a mentor figure for Peter is just something that I thought a lot of fans resonated with. And that being said, uh, Michael Keaton, to that point, was one of the best villains in the MCU as the Vulture. He was fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's pretty much all I have to say in a nutshell. I, like, I don't want to spoil too much for anyone who hasn't seen it for you since you haven't seen it. Yeah, well, I pretty much know everything that happens okay. anyway at this point, which I should because it's been out for years. Yeah, but uh, just a very good movie. And obviously, I love Spider-Man. He was my favorite superhero growing up. Of course, I'm going to like pick a Spider-Man movie as being somewhere on this list. All right. Number five, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, so I will stop you right there. That's also my number five. (laughs) Great. We agree. (laughs) I don't know if I even need to say much about this one because it's like, what's not to like? No, so I think James Gunn is like remembered as being one of the best directors in the MCU. Obviously, everyone psyched for Guardians Volume 3. There was the whole campaign to get him back in after like he was fired unjustly. But Guardians is just one of these rare movies that is just so much fun that everyone loves. Uh, that really, like, it's 
how many movies can you name where you just didn't know any of the characters going in uh, and they just resonated with you so purely that you loved all of these characters that really you could go back and watch this movie endlessly. Yeah, and I, I had no idea who they were really. All I knew from them was uh, Rocket Raccoon was in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And I remember seeing that, like they're including some little raccoon thing. I'm like, what the hell is this? Why would they do this? What is this? I don't like this thing. Get it away. No. But then I watched the movie and it's like, okay, now I like it. <laughs> Plus, it's, you know, the first time we actually see Thanos do anything in the slightest. Um, you know, obviously, he has the uh, sort of brief moment in Avengers, but this is like the first time he actually interacts and he's got the uh, Josh Brolin voice. So, yeah, very yeah cool. he actually talks. And you see him in the chair, the big mean bad guy chair that all big mean bad guys sit in until the p- it's time for the plan to be enacted. Okay, so what's your number four? Number four, Logan. Now, Logan, I think, is definitely the strongest, most emotional Wolverine solo film and probably X-Men film. And I think that that's the true, for me, it's the true end to the X-Men film series, the Fox series. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Because it closes off on such an apt note with that whole tilting the, uh, you know, the cross into an X and the fact that he essentially sacrifices himself for what is presumably the next generation of mutants. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Uh, So my number four is Joker, which, uh, you know, we Mm. did an entire podcast on. I don't think I need to really elaborate beyond the fact that, uh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix gave an incredible performance in the character. He's probably going to win an Oscar for it. Yeah. I I mean, if you haven't seen Joker, first of all, see it. It, There's not really too much I can say since it is like only a month old. I don't want to spoil anything. And it's sort of hard to spoil anyway, since it's just this sort of Scorsese-esque sort of mindfuck. Just go see Joker. Okay. Go see Joker. Yeah. I'll have to agree with that. And I'll also have to say that it is my number three. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So... Need, nothing need be said on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you need to elaborate? Listen to our podcast on it. It's like number 51, I think. So go back a few. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your number three? Um, my number three is Deadpool, which was your number 10. Um, so the reason I put it this high on the list is because I've probably seen it more than every movie on this list. <laughs> like, it, I, I've seen jo- uh, Deadpool at least 20 times. Um, and it's one of these movies that I just never get tired of, even if you can't get past the humor of it. Uh, first of all, it's very much in line with my sort, sort of sense of humor is just being the sort of a sophomore crass. Uh, it, it's like, first of all, Ryan Reynolds is one of the best castings we've ever seen in a role like this. Yeah. And it's just one of these movies that is endlessly re- rewatchable. That is just so much fun that uh, even if it's not like a perfect movie, it's something that I'll keep going back to and I'll never get sick of. Well said. All right, we are up to the penultimate of the superhero films. Number two, Man of Steel. (laughs) Okay. Now, I think I've talked about Man of Steel in the past, but I think it was the long past, so I will just briefly explain. This movie, for me, did the whole modern Superman thing right, I think, because if you look at the Christopher Reeve movies, that was everyone in the world of Superman. It was everything kind of built around him as a character, whereas I feel like this movie was more Superman thrown into our world. It's obviously a cynical world. It's not that fun. There's a lot of doubt that goes into it. You know, it's dangerous if you make the wrong choices, and sometimes there are big consequences morally to making certain choices. You know, the whole killing Zod, the whole do I destroy my old world to save this one which is my new world all the introduced themes i thought were done in a nice way and obviously it didn't just have the involvement of Zack snyder you also had the involvement of christopher nolan i'm pretty sure he had some influence on Uh, jonathan nolan wrote and co-wrote the script yeah but if you look uh christopher nolan's production company is listed on it and i know he was consulted because you know the whole thing the whole reason why it was made with that tone yeah, it's obviously it's inspired by Batman Begins, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, some people complain about all the destruction and the noise in the end, you know, of the end fight between him and Zod, but I wanted to see that. I wanted to see the full potential of that kind of level of power hero and villain going at it. So for me, that was all good. Uh, love his suit. Love Henry Cavill. I, I don't care about Amy Adams. I know you hate her. But I don't. I think she's the worst casting in the DC Extended Universe to date. <laughs> okay. 
yeah, I don't. I, I feel like I shouldn't have to elaborate on that. I don't know if there's much else to say. I thought it was a good Superman movie, and it's it inspires me <laughs> a okay. little bit. Uh, so my number two is Logan, which we talked about earlier. Um, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain why it's this high on my list. Uh, it is the closing of the X-Men franchise. Hugh Jackman is, again, one of these just iconic characters that, <laughs> they, like, they're never going to recast Wolverine without it getting a ton of complaints. You know, I've heard rumors that he's in talks to reprise the role in the MCU now. <laughs> I Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I think he had said something about, like, wanting to play the role again if they ever made it. Like, of course, that was a huge hypothetical because at the time, no one actually foresaw Disney buying out Fox. Also happened this previous decade. Just saying, we're keeping it all in canon. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm skeptical if he's actually going to do it. It would be fun to see, but there's also no X-Men movies on the docket anytime soon. Deadpool 3 actually has been announced, which... Uh, New Mutants still going to come out, guys, right? Yeah, it might happen. <laughs> it could happen. Jeez. I, I, I think they... Uh, I, I forget who the director is. Josh Trank, I think, is the guy, right? No, no, definitely No, that's the not. Fantastic Four guy, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I keep forgetting who the guy whatever someone from the production staff had apparently said that another trailer is going to come out early in January which I'm skeptical of they still of, haven't done the uh, reshoots though they're supposed to do reshoots and they have <sighs> we'll see I don't think that's going to happen Josh Boone Josh is the director. so Josh it is a Josh okay yeah okay so uh moving on to our number one choices the number one superhero film of the 2010s on my list yes Avengers Infinity War slash Endgame. Okay, so I see what you did. Well, Avengers Infinity War is my number one. I feel like I shouldn't have to explain why. I, I thought you put Avengers Endgame lower on the list, actually. I, I know I did, but... uh, No, I just mentioned earlier that I had put it in the same number with Infinity War. Okay, well, I can see why you put it that high on the list. Obviously, yeah. Avengers Infinity War is my number one. Uh, Thanos really the most incredible villain not just in the mcu but like one of the most incredible villains on on film of all time um it's a cgi bad guy done right looking at you justice league (laughs) yeah no it's just a movie that flows perfectly the pacing is on point which is a rarity for like major hollywood blockbuster movie and that's actually another gripe i had with rise of skywalker that i forgot to mention um that just the pacing at the beginning was terrible um but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. what else can we really say about Avengers Infinity War? Like, this is one of these movies that just everyone was sort of blown away by. The whole twist of him actually getting away with it. Like, how often does the villain actually win? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was freaking incredible. The biggest thing I think that Infinity War and Endgame get right is splitting up the cast to tell, like, these smaller stories individually and keep cycling back around to them. And they all come into play. And they all coalesce in the end. And, of course, you see everybody, like the whole cast of every movie come in at the end of Endgame. And, you know, we did a whole podcast on that, too. A whole review. So you can get full thoughts if you go listen to that one. I think it was like, what, 47 or something? Yeah, uh, yeah something like that. Um, I, I So I, I will say, very satisfying battle, but the cinematography could have been better. Okay. Okay. I actually saw behind the scenes about how they did it, and it's crazy how they, like, factor in all this green screening and effects. Like, they actually have people run towards each other, but they're, like, running in at different times. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, of course, it's a $300 million achievement. So, yeah, the one thing that I think, it, yeah, like I said, it does the whole splitting up of the plot and the cast really well, which I felt like Crisis on Infinite Earths could have did a little bit better, but that's yeah. TV. Well, I feel like Crisis doesn't have as many characters speaking, which we just did a podcast on this. Go listen. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I think when people saw the first trailer for Infinity War and when people were first hearing that Infinity War would include this massive cast, uh, the the sort of fear was that it would be sort of over encumbered. No character would really have enough screen time um, that all of these characters would sort of overlap each other and would just be a jumbled mess. Um. It was not that. It worked incredibly well. They actually managed to make all of these characters feel as important as they ever were. Um, Obviously, Thanos had the most screen time of any character by far, and it it really does feel like Thanos' story uh, in Infinity War. Um, You know, Endgame is obviously a little more focused on the actual Avengers cast, but uh, 
and, and that's actually something that bugs me about Endgame that uh, is a reason why it's lower on my list is the uh, Thanos. They sort of gave a more neutered portrayal. He's sort of a weaker character in that uh, he, his plans just sort of turn from like actually trying to do something for the common good to essentially trying yeah. to destroy the universe. It, it's yeah, that. Well, to me, me, the whole killing half made no sense at all. And it, it I, actually made more I, sense to me to just get rid of everything and just redo it. Well, see, in that instance, I can understand the philosophy. It's a utilitarian good. He's trying to save the universe by killing half the universe, by making resources more readily available for the remaining half. And by showing that he has this kind of power, it gives people the threat to like not overpopulate and actually manage the resources well. But you could poke such a huge flaw in that with one thing and say, why didn't he just double the resources? Why didn't he just give everyone yeah, a well that generates easily. infinite resources? He could have pretty easily, and I think part of that goes down to Thanos' character of being this power-obsessed madman. He is the Mad Titan, you have to keep in mind. Yeah, he wanted to be worshipped, which is he, why... Exactly, he wants mm-hmm. to be well-known. Yeah, uh, so why wouldn't he, he want to make a new universe? I was like, yeah, because, of course. Okay, because if he becomes the god of this new universe, like, no, eventually there's going to be disbelievers, there's going to be non-believers. Uh, everyone's going to remember the guy who decimates half of all humanity, and the guy who commits mass genocide on a, like, universal scale. We well, figured not if, if he's programming a new universe, he could program everyone to just be drones. Yeah, but that would be boring, wouldn't it? Of course, which is why his plan is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, again, that's why it bugs me in Endgame. I'm glad we're on the same page for this. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Quick honorable mention I had for that. Uh, had to include it because I've talked about it before. I've defended it since episode one of the podcast. We've been disagreeing on it. Just goes to show we're not an echo chamber here. We always disagree. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, <laughs> director's cut. Okay, I'm, I, I, I'm shocked it didn't make it to your actual list. Um, it's not a movie I outwardly hate, but uh, it's it's definitely not going to my top ten. Um, and yeah, the, the uh, director's cut actually was decent. The main thing I just don't like about it is the way they did Doomsday. I thought that was kind of a waste but, you know, everyone's criticisms that, oh, you, it's hard to follow. It's all over the place. I followed it fine. I knew what the whole Flash thing was. It was obviously a tease for something they were going to do in the future. But now we're not going to see really that. Never paid off. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's never going to. Okay. So let's talk about our favorite science fiction films of the 2010s, since this is a little broader of a category. Yes. This is obviously non-superhero science fiction movies so which uh, a lot of the best science fiction films of the 2010s unfortunately were superhero movies so this made it a little bit more difficult to narrow down what's your number 10 and i will preface this by saying for sci-fi and action i haven't watched as much of those or rather i don't have as much of a all-encompassing perspective on those categories so just remember that these that these lists are highly highly subjective yeah action i narrowed down to my top five so i'm I'm sure that's gonna be an issue once we get to it uh so what's your number 10 for science fiction films number 10 science fiction this one wasn't really popular but i liked it independence day resurgence ah why it's like one of the worst movies i've ever seen no i didn't think it was that bad storm your number nine john it is not but here's the thing now this may frighten a lot of people You may not like this, but I watched the original Independence Day right before seeing this movie. And to me, that movie felt dated and a little too corny for me to take seriously. Like, I liked it, but the tone of it just felt off. It's like this world-ending event and the president's just like a cowboy going in a plane and, and everything. And I don't know, it just didn't really register that much with me. And then the sequel, I thought... I mean, it was basically like the first movie, but slightly more serious, and it had more, like, they had better technology, and things looked a little cooler, so, I don't know. I kind of like surface-level details like that. I'm a very aesthetic person. I appreciate things that are visual, so, I don't know. I thought it looked better visually, obviously. Both movies look good, but I thought they did the sci-fi element of it better in the sequel, and I liked the way it left off, where they said... We're not going to just sit around and wait for you to invade us again. We're going to take the fight to you. But now we're not going to see that. Okay, so uh, my number 10 is Men in Black 3. Um, mm. Yeah, you probably weren't expecting that, were you? Uh, no. Is, is it higher on your list? I feel it's like it my number be. nine. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about it briefly because I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. Um, it's a franchise I absolutely love. Even Men in Black International, I didn't hate. Um, you saw uh, it? 
Yeah, I saw it. Uh, well, like after it was uh, released on video, like I saw oh. it on demand. Um, yeah, I mean, I it, it's not a great movie, but it's like not a terrible movie either. Um, it's an okay movie. I, I think it gets more hate than it deserves. I would have rather have seen the uh, crossover with 22 Jump Street than that. Yeah. <laughs> or 21 Jump Street, whatever. Um, so Men in Black 3, I, I think, was a pretty strong uh, sequel, like especially since people were expecting the franchise to be over after 2. I, I think it handled time travel really well. I think Josh Brolin was a great uh, young version of uh, Josh Brolin. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was really great in that. He's Cable. He's Stannis. He's young Tommy Lee Jones. He's Jonah Hex. What isn't he? Yeah. Um. What else? Uh, Will Smith's always great. Uh, he was great in this. Um, interesting enough villain. Uh, yeah. I mean, the reason it's not higher on my list is because obviously I think it was like you know not as good as the first two. Um, well, I thought it was definitely better than two. Two, I thought was the weakest. Well, two, two, I think gets a lot of hate. I think they get progressively weaker. That's just me. But uh, okay, yeah, okay. So number nine for you, it's Men in Black three, right? Correct. <laughs> Got anything else, Dad? No, not really. I liked the fact that they weren't they in Coney Island in the end. Uh, yes, yes, they or were. or in the whole pet. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a nice detail. Yeah. It always took place in New York, though. Yeah, no, I, I, the first two did, yeah. Yeah, and Men in Black was originally comics, and they were published by Marvel. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like this isn't a comic book movie, you know, like, people understand yeah. that it's uh, <laughs> different. Okay, so what's my number nine? Uh, so for me, it's Limitless, which uh, is one of these movies that I think was considered to be just this pioneering, really cool movie at the time that really no one has talked about since. Uh, it did get a short-lived TV series, which really no one saw. Um, Bradley Cooper was fantastic in the role. Uh, the reason it's on my list at all is really because of the concept of the whole thing. Like, if you could have a pill that would instantly make you the smartest person in the world. Right. Um, Ian, that's just a very cool concept on its face. Um, you know, and that led to me thinking for the longest time, what if I had access to this pill? What would I do? So it, it really is a movie that stuck with me for this longest time. Um, and you know, it, it, it does get cheesy in spots. It feels like a mid two thousands movie at spots, but, uh, it, you know, it, it's just something that I really do enjoy. You know, I did come across that while looking for stuff to put on the list and I thought about including it, but the fact that it. The only sci-fi element really was just the pill kept yeah. me from putting it there. But yeah, and I know it's and there's some movie. He's a, like higher on my list. That sort of toe the line between sci-fi and not, um, which I, I feel like I'm going to get some flack for this if anyone's really like listening. Critically well, no, it's fine. Sci-fi is a really broad sci-fi. topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, generally, because like I said, I'm all about aesthetics. I pick movies that are visually very sci-fi-esque. And Limitless does have a lot of that. Or a fair oh. amount, at least. Like, anytime he sort of flashes and, you know, feels the need to get out of a situation. Um, no, yeah, I didn't even think movie. about it like that. Yeah. Okay, so, number eight. My number eight, Star Trek Into Darkness. Hmm. Now, this movie got, of course, uh, criticism because of redoing the whole con thing and how they tried to cover it up and say, oh, no, it's uh, it's this guy, John Harrison. But no one bought that. Yeah, obviously it was con. Like, they, they cast Benedict Cumberbatch. People knew it was con. Yeah. But the main thing I liked about it was all the interactions between the main cast and the crew. I thought everybody had their moment because I hadn't actually seen the original series at the time. But now after having seen the original series, I do see elements reminiscent of their characters in the show. Like I see it there and I liked the whole, I don't know, adventure aspect of it. I don't know. What really can you say about Star Trek in the Darkness? It's a J.J. Abrams Star Trek. It's it's a big action movie. Guy wants revenge. It's fun. It's entertaining. What I'm wondering is how many other Star Trek movies are going to be on your top 10? That actually is the only one. Because really? the only other one Did was out Beyond. Beyond. Right. right. And well, I guess the, first uh, the original came out in 2009, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which, for me, I think that was actually the best movie in this whole J.J. Uh, Abrams franchise. I know he didn't direct the, the first last one. Cup. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the original. Uh, That's just me, but... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Tough um, to say for me whether I like it more than okay. In the Darkness. So okay, so my number eight is sort of an obscure one. Uh, so this was a movie starring uh, Jason Sudeikis in the main role. Uh, Anne Hathaway was the female lead. It, it's called Colossal. Mm-hmm. Does it ring any bells, or should I uh, explain get into a little bit? Okay, so it, it's this really sort of weird movie made by this director who I think is Scandinavian, uh, who no one really expected to. Like it, like it, it's a weird movie on its face. Um, the guy who directed it is named Nacho Vigalando. Uh, this was like his first movie with actual actors in it. 
And it, it, it sort of like asks the question, what would happen if a young girl could control a monster in Japan while like walking around in a sandbox in her hometown? Hmm. It's like just one of these weird like gems that just people completely ignored. For some and, reason, uh, that almost rings a bell. I don't know. There's like a little f- hint of a neuron firing in my brain that yeah. might remember something like that. But yeah, go on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it, it's a movie I really enjoy just because it does have these t- like Jason Sudeikis is obviously a great comic actor. He's fantastic in it. Uh, Dan Stevens, who like became famous for starring as, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? David Holler and Legion. He's fantastic in that, too, even though he isn't in sort of a small role. Um and, you know, it, it's like she does, like, sort of inhabit this role. Like, she eventually does realize, oh, hey, I'm controlling this monster accidentally. Uh, what the heck do I do? How can I stop it from attacking? Uh, I, I think it's actually Korea, not Japan. But, uh, yeah. No, it, it's just a very cool movie that I think people need to say. Yeah, sounds interesting. Yeah. So, speaking of Japanese-inspired properties... Number seven, and I think you won't be surprised that this is on my list, Alita Battle Angel. I, I should have put this on my list. I was like struggling for a point to put it on. Um, and actually, you know, I, I might amend this and uh, put that higher on, actually. Yeah. Um, and I have it there for a couple reasons, one of which being the fact that it explores this idea of someone who's essentially all robot, but I'm pretty sure she, she has a human brain. It's like well, she's a just, cyborg technically, yeah. And yeah, it's like a human brain, but everything else is robotic. So it's kind of exploring the idea of this personhood of somebody who was essentially built as a war machine, but then discarded, and then finding her own new purpose in some world that she barely recognizes, but slowly begins to pick up the pieces of her past and use it to kind of shape the way she goes about her future. And... You know, that's something I think that's pretty relatable, finding purpose. And another of the reasons it's there is because of the whole world building aspect of it. When you see these flashbacks from some kind of war, we're not really sure what it is, but it's something they could definitely get into if they made more of them, especially since it ends off with her traveling to the, uh, you know, Elysium type city in the sky. Right. And it makes me want to see more. Yeah, no, I can I, I can appreciate that. I get that. Okay, so what's my number seven? Uh, so my number seven is The World's End, which is uh, Edgar Wright's last movie in the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, along with hmm. uh, uh, along with Shaun of the Dead. And the first movie was um, – what was the first movie? Shaun of the Dead, the first movie? Yeah, Shaun of I the Dead so. was the first movie. Then it was uh, Hot Fuzz, which is actually, like in my opinion, the best movie of the trilogy, which no one talks about. Um, so The World's End is this sort of – borderline apocalyptic movie the apocalypse comes in place during the very end of it i feel like the world's end sort of gives it that away and you know it's basically this whole story which i didn't know going in and uh like in retrospect it seems kind of obvious but uh it's about these guys go who go back to their hometown to go on this massive drink tour of like all 12 of their hometown's bars and as they're going through this whole, uh, like, you know, they're doing a drink at each one of these bars and going through. Uh, I, I think by the time they get to the second or third bar, they realize most of the citizens of this town have been replaced by alien robots. <laughs> and it's f- fucking fantastic. It's like, it's like it doesn't work on paper, but, you know, it's Edgar Wright. Of course it works. Okay, so what is your number six, is it? I think it's yes, six. Yes, we're up to number six. I have, and this is a movie we already mentioned. Edge of Tomorrow. Why? Because it's Groundhog Day, but with Tom Cruise and fighting monsters with mech-like attachments on your body that, I don't know, partially looks like Halo, partially looks like Titanfall. It is based off of a Japanese graphic graphic novel called All You Need Is Kill, and I thought it was a really cool concept, executed decently well, and the fact that it's sort of like a video game like Dark Souls, where he goes and fights the same enemies in the same situations over and over and has to master the movements and memorize exactly what to do until he finally just, like, gives up. And so, yeah, I thought it was a solid sci-fi action flick deserving yeah. of a spot. So, I, I will say, I'm sort of amending my list as I'm going through it here. Um, my number six actually probably would be Alita Battle Angel, and the reason I didn't include it, like, earlier on is because, uh, you know, the ending sort of rubbed me the wrong way. 
Um, it, it, you know, it, it's obviously looking for a sequel and it sort of feels like it wouldn't stand alone on its own without that sort of presence, present mindedness of a sequel. I feel like it could have ended a lot earlier and have been a better movie. Hmm. Um, but, you know, obviously Rosa Salazar is great in the role. Robert Rodriguez is a fantastic director who obviously I have this huge childhood love of just from watching Spy Kids growing up. <laughs> um, and, you know, from like watching Machete and stuff while I was in college. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so Alita Battle Angels, my official number six. I'm revising my list midway through here. Alrighty then. So number five, well, no, wait, that was six. Okay, so number five, I have another Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion. And for anybody who hasn't seen that, it's this post-apocalyptic type movie where Tom Cruise is, I don't quite remember, but he's sort of like a caretaker or scavenger of this, uh... okay, I remember. So the premise is that everyone's moved to Jupiter's moon Titan because Earth is no longer inhabitable. And he's kind of like the cleanup crew. He gathers data, information that they need or whatever, and is supposed to eventually go back to Jupiter's moon Titan. But as you eventually find out, he's just a clone commissioned by this AI entity who essentially just has these humans here to feed it information. For what purpose, I don't exactly remember, but... It was an interesting concept, again, exploring personhood of somebody who's essentially just a copy of somebody who did live and was repurposed, and, you know, he ends up starting a new life with the other uh, female clone, they start a family and everything. Or he, like, finds a family of a different clone, and, uh, yeah, it's got Morgan Freeman, and very nice landscapes, nice vistas, and pretty cool movie. Cool. It's Tom Cruise, how can you go wrong? <laughs> yeah, so um, my number five would be Ready Player One, uh, which I mm. think, first of all, is Steven Spielberg's best movie since the 90s. It's one of these movies that I think flew under the radar for a lot of people. Uh, we actually did a review on it, a low-res review. I think it was number six or seven, somewhere in there. It was an early yeah. one. Um, so it's just this sort of fantastic movie about oh, – and you know, I, I, I don't know if you ever read a epic or saga, like these books that take place in alternate reality – but um, it essentially follows this plot line of what would happen if the world was basically shit and all you could do to escape was go to this virtual reality world that pretty much everyone inhabited. Uh, there's a lot of 80s nostalgia that works really well. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of homage to 80s culture that works really well. Um, Ty Sheridan, who also played Cyclops in uh, the younger X-Men movies like Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, he's Cyclops. Uh, he was fantastic in this. I think it's the best performance he's ever given. And yeah, I mean, it's just one of these movies that, you know, it, it, it doesn't have a lot to say, but what it does say is it, it does offer you an escape. It does offer you this sort of sense of fun that we really don't see in a lot of sci-fi. You know, it, it it's not like this. It, it leaves you off with a hopeful message and, you know, it, it just works really well. All right. Moving on to number four, I have Interstellar also known as the modern version of 2001 Space Odyssey. I don't know if I totally believe the fact that his daughter just comes up with everything. She's like, oh, I got it. I know what we have to do to... Yeah, it's a little weird. What was it, to the, an equation to, I guess, figure out how to manipulate gravity or something? Yeah, something like... It's a weird movie. And yeah, some of those elements really just don't work for me. Um, they, the whole idea of a black hole, and this is something that Neil deGrasse Tyson actually picked apart, like in the... Like, he did this whole collaboration with CinemaSense, which was actually kind of awesome, uh, where he picks apart the science of the whole thing. And uh, black holes don't work that way. And it, they just completely skydish over that. Well, it wasn't really a black hole, right? That was the thing. It wasn't really a black hole. It looked like one, but it was really, uh, I don't know, some kind of... Con some kind of higher dimensional construct by future humans were led to believe in order for him to be able to, you know, ma manipulate past events and clue everyone into where to go in order to lead humanity to salvation or to a better place. Okay. That's how I took it. Like, it's not, okay. this isn't a natural black hole. It was artificially created. Right. So, okay. it, it yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't get that at the time. That's what, um, that's I, I don't know, it's something that I probably should rewatch, but uh, it's just one of the movies that I thought was one of Christopher Nolan's rare missteps. Um, that's just me. Um, number four for me is actually a tie between two of my favorite horror movies of the decade, both of which do sort of play with science fiction concepts. Uh, so A Quiet Place and Get Out. Uh, you know, hmm. I talked about Get Out uh, during our horror episode. I think I might have touched upon A Quiet Place, too. Um, so 
without getting too deep into it, Get Out sort of plays with like body modification and hypnosis, uh, like in the more sort of fictional way, because the way they portray hypnosis doesn't really jive with how hypnosis actually works. Um, Quiet Place really centers around aliens, the use of sound. It's they're they're both very science fictiony movies that are like very clearly horror movies. Um, and I, I, I think they're real, both like just really fantastic movies that I really don't want to spoil too much about. So, yeah, check them out. Number three for me is another Nolan movie, which you probably have figured out just by saying that Inception. Yeah. So um, this is spoiler alert. This is my uh, number one choice. Uh, oh, wow. Probably don't need to say why since you're going to get into it. But uh, go ahead. <laughs> so, of course. Very interesting concept, being able to actually manipulate not just your own dreams, but other people's dreams, going into someone's mind and using the whole dream construct as a way of extracting information. And of course, like I would say, the visual element is incredible. You see all the landscapes and buildings morphing around them and whatnot. And there's this whole present danger that if you stay in there too long, if you go too deep, too many layers down... You'll never be able to tell the difference between what's a dream and what's reality. And, you know, that of course, that can lead you to do crazy things, as we eventually see. Yeah, well said. Um, I will say Leo DiCaprio should have won the Oscar for that one. It's yeah. ridiculous <laughs> that they had to wait for The Revenant. which uh, Actually, probably should have gone my action films list, but uh, I didn't think to put it on. Okay, so my number three is Blade Runner 2049, which we saw together, but you slept through. So uh, <laughs> I, I can understand why it's not on your list. <laughs> yeah. Um, Like, so look, I love Blade Runner. I love the original movie. Um, Blade Runner 2049 for me was a better movie, uh, partially because you have this sort of younger replicant trying to search for his identity. Uh, It's sort of the reason uh, I I forget what the movie you were talking about earlier was already, but uh, it's like sort of playing with this concept of the self. Like, at what point does a human become a machine? And my number two, Alita. Alita, yes, exactly. Yeah. for what for what it's worth, my number two movie also plays with that same theme. I'll talk about that once we get there. But uh, yeah, so that's part of it. Um, part of it is because it's a rarity that uh, Hollywood actually turns out a sequel that's as good, if not better, than the original, especially like thirty years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really incredible for me. Uh, the cinematography is unlike anything I've ever seen. I, th- I think it was just phenomenal from this whole perspective. So yeah, I mean, this is a movie that. First of all, see Blade Runner, but see Blade Runner 2049. Um, it, it's, it just works really well for me. I'm going to go ahead and spoil my honorable mention, which was going to be Blade Runner 2049. And yeah, I know uh, when I first saw it, I didn't gather all of it because I think at that point I hadn't like slept in over a day. So, you know, I was in and out, but I was there for most of it. And from what I could tell, at least with the visual aspect, and this was no small feat. It was just as good as the original. And, you know, recreating that kind of aesthetic is not easy, as we can clearly tell when they keep trying to make new Terminator movies, whether they're exactly trying to copy James Cameron or not. They just haven't been able to get it right. But 2049, I thought, really did get that whole feel and look of it right. Yeah, I will say before we conclude the lists here and, uh, you know, we'll get to number two next, but... uh... It, the reason I didn't include any Terminator films or uh, sorry Star Wars films on this list, and I feel like you know uh, you have these two fantastic franchises, which at their core were some of the best science fiction of all time. Um, really, no Terminator movie or Star Wars movie from this past decade really stood out as being a masterpiece to me. And uh, yeah. I, I think you're probably inclined to agree, since I, I don't think you included uh, Star Wars or Terminator as being any of your next couple. You would be right. Yeah. And so what's your number two? <laughs> my number two. I was going to say, you know, we've had yeah, five so Star Wars movies in the last decade. Isn't that crazy? And none of them have been particularly great. And none of them make a top ten. <laughs> I still haven't seen Solo, you realize, you know? Yeah, Solo's, Solo's all right. Yeah. Um, but no, I actually enjoyed pretty much all of them. It's just none of them are exceptional movies, in my opinion. None of them really blow me away. Yeah, I can agree with that. So number two, and if you know... A particular detail about me about a certain thing that I like, which is large mech robots, then this choice will make sense to you. Pacific Rim. Uh, wow. Need I say more? It's giant. It's high praise. 
I think it's is it the first like Western movie we've seen with giant mech robots actually done really well? Uh, well, I guess uh, done really well in terms of box office gross, or done really no, well in like, terms of just been a good movie. I, I actually yeah. never saw the Pacific Rim, so uh, I, I can't comment too much on it. But uh, I can't think of any other movie with big mechs other than maybe Transformers. Well, no, Godzilla would be. Uh, <laughs> you can see those are robots, though they're not controlled by people. Which I guess, yeah. I don't know if that's a requirement to being a mech, technically, but yeah. No, I just thought it was uh, great action sci-fi, great uh, visuals, of course, because you had the direction of, and I'm going to get his name right this time, Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, I forgot he was behind that. I, I really should see the original, shouldn't I? Yes, and unfortunately, they didn't have him for the sequel, and I thought it suffered. Not a terrible movie, but just nowhere near as good as the first one. Okay, so my number two pick, uh, and this is one that uh, you, I, I feel like you probably haven't heard of it, but uh, it's one of these sort of indie sci-fi movies that actually has a phenomenal cast, phenomenal direction, uh, just worked really well. And you'll, I, I think if you heard what I just said about uh, the whole idea of what makes you human, uh, mm-hmm. this should be kind of obvious. Uh, so my number two pick is Ex Machina, which uh, okay. have, you, have you seen it? or I've seen it, yeah. Okay, so you can sort of see where I'm going with this. So I, I I just think the whole concept of humanity, like what makes us human, what makes machines machines, at what point does a machine become human, uh, at what point does your thought become independent, um, that's just something that really blows me away, and it's part of the reason why Fallout 4 is one of my favorite video games, you know? Mm-hmm. So Ex Machina does it exceptionally well. Uh, Alicia Vikander obviously is a human actress, but uh, she plays the part of a machine trying to become human better than anything you could possibly imagine, um, to the point that you can tell the characters in this movie are starting to believe that she's actually human. Right. Um, not actually, actually, but actually exhibiting sort of free will and you know she does eventually yeah, you see all yeah. of them start to look at her because she's like the only one who actually begins to show or exhibit these behaviors of self-interest right yeah it's incredible and you could make the argument that uh, oscar isaac's character did sort of program her to sort of behave this way and yeah. uh it, it's just so well done it's such a cool concept go see ex machina yeah this is probably the one movie where you would understand if uh poe dameron was talked down to by a female <laughs> Yep. Also, he's apocalypse. Yeah. Remember that, everybody. Yeah. So I, I, I already did give away my number one. So please elaborate on yours. All right. So my number one. This might be a little controversial, and I don't technically think it's the best quality story on this list, but I put it there for a reason. One being because to reiterate again, aesthetics big thing for me, and because I want to see more of it. And because, as I speak, it's the desktop background of all three of my monitors, Tron Legacy. Oh, that's a weird one. That's a deep cut, actually. Um, That one, again, also kind of explores the whole personhood thing. Obviously, you have this cyber world that's been growing for the last 28 years, since it was 28 years since the first movie back in 1981. No, Tron Legacy was 2010, so... What was it? I guess 82 is when Tron came out. Yeah, it sounds about right. Verify. 1982, yes. So it builds up this world where these programs exist. And programs have a specific purpose. It's like, you know, they do one job. And then you had these other entities up here called uh, ISOs. That was what they were short for. I don't remember the long name. But there are these digital entities that... Jeff Bridges, who's like the god of this world because he created it, explains that they just started to pop up out of nowhere and they didn't, like programs, have a specific purpose. They were, they had free will, essentially. And then you had Clue, who was made in Jeff Bridges' image. He was meant to bring, like, order to the the whole universe here. I'm I'm not sure how you would equate that to a program, but, you know, he's essentially made to be the the president or the leader of everything. He's the programmer. Yes. He's like the, uh, the master control. Yeah, no, you had the master control program in the first movie. This was different. But anyway, he sees them as a threat because he can't control them. And so he brings about this whole, like, dictatorship to eradicate them. And then, of course, when he finds out about the portal into the real world, he wants to go there. And they have to stop him. But, yeah, so interesting story. Interesting concept. Goes without saying. The whole visual style of it. Very cool. Of course, it was a throwback to the 80s. 
And you know we like the 80s here. So yeah. Disney, make make three. Make three, Disney. Okay, so let's move on to action films. Um, so on to action films, I will say I only came up with my top five because it is sort of hard to think of great action movies. Uh, I, I don't watch a lot of straight action movies, actually, so uh, this was sort of hard for me. Um, so I, I guess uh, I, I'll start with my number five pick. Um, so I went with Atomic Blonde, which uh, a lot of people, I think, ig- sort of ignored. They saw it as just another sort of chick flick trying to become this great action movie. Uh, for me, it works really well. Um, and it, it's sort of overdone. Like, you know, we've seen Anna, we've seen Red Sparrow, Black Widow, you could argue, is another one of these movies where it's trying to make a female protagonist who's just a spy and it's sort of generic. This is does not feel generic. It's from David Leitch, who directed both John Wick and Deadpool 2. And it's really like, first of all, I know you have a thing for Charlize Theron, so I, I feel like I shouldn't have to elaborate on that too much. But uh, she's fantastic in the role. She kicks ass throughout the entire movie. Um, it's one of the few straight action movies of the decade that seems like it's kind of mindless, but actually works really well. Oh, and James McAvoy is fantastic in it, too. No, I didn't even know he was in it. Yeah, no, it's like people completely brushed over that, but he's like the male lead in that. So uh, number four for me is Mission Impossible Fallout. I would be shocked if you didn't have a Mission Impossible movie on yours. For me, Fallout was the best of all of them, Uh, you know, prior to obviously the original Mission Impossible. And Ghost Protocol is actually very strong, too. But uh, for me, Fallout's the best of all uh, all of the ones of the past decade. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to include more than one on the list. Um, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to elaborate too much. You have this whole, like, the past is finally catching up with him. Uh, it's a smaller team. Uh, you have Simon Pegg, who's great in everything. Yeah. Um, my number three pick is Baby Driver, which I wouldn't even necessarily consider to be an action movie. But it's like, it, while I was lo- looking into action movies for this list, it's just one that came up endlessly. And it's one of these movies that I saw like a million times just because my one roommate was obsessed with it. And it's, again, just a great Edgar Wright movie, uh, really well choreographed, great music selection, um, and it's just a fun movie, you know? Yeah. Um, number two for me is Django Unchained. I had to throw a Tarantino movie on here somewhere. Uh, Hateful Eight is not action, neither is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this made the list. And, you know, it is, I think, one of the better Tarantino movies of at least the decade. So, um there it is. And number one for me is Kingsman the Secret Service. Shouldn't have to explain why, but uh, if I need to elaborate beyond, it's Kingsman, you know. Uh, yeah. Let me know. Yeah. All right. I will say of your list, there is one of those that's on mine, and you already mentioned it. Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. All right. So I'll just run through this top 10 quickly because we are running short on time. We've gone on a while here. So number 10. I have Escape Plan. Escape Plan is the first movie we see where you actually have Stallone and Schwarzenegger in equal starring roles. It's not like The Expendable where it's an ensemble and Schwarzenegger has a smaller part. They actually both have equal screen time, I think. And seeing the interaction on screen in a narrative between the two of them was just really great for me. And there's some good action. And also, I like the show Prison Break. And the whole movie is about a prison break. So there you go. Number nine, I have Skyfall. Skyfall, of course, was the third Craig Bond film. And uh, everyone agrees, I think, that it was the probably farthest departure in tone from the rest, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I don't remember it all that well, I will say, but I do remember liking it decently. And it's Craig Bond, so you can't go wrong. So I will say uh, my favorite Daniel Craig Bond movie was actually Casino Royale, which was before this decade if it had come through this decade it probably would have made my list um not a fan of skyfall actually i think that's one of the weaker daniel craig bond films um specter i think was actually probably the best of the decade okay uh, if i really had to narrow it down yes number eight i have 300 rise of an empire which was the sequel to the original 300 uh i don't think a lot of people saw it but i thought it was surprisingly pretty good I thought all of the fight, you know, fight sequences and everything held up to the original 300. I thought the main hero was likable. The villain, Eva Green, she's so hot, man. Yeah, no, she's incredible. She was a good villainess. She was great. And of course, uh, Xerxes was in it again. And it wasn't directed by Zack Snyder, but you could tell his influence was there. So all in all, decent, uh, I don't know, not medieval, but, you know, old historical graphic novels style inspired action film 
Number seven. The first, Expendables. I don't know if I need to say much on that one. Big ensemble cast, big action, fun. That's pretty much it. Number six. Now, this is comic book based, but I wouldn't really consider him a superhero. 2012's Dread. Yeah, I figured that would make it on your list somewhere. Simple plot line. He has to respond to a call in an apartment building, take down a crime syndicate, and he does his thing. Judgment time. And you still haven't seen The Boys, have you? No, not yet. Well, it's on Amazon. I don't, I don't have Amazon. Yeah, well, go pirate it or something. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe or I'll just do. get an Amazon free subscription, you know? Uh, I want to see The Tick Season 3 first, damn it. Yeah, well, uh, so Carl Urban is actually fantastic in... Uh, in the boys uh, i know he was the title character in dread so uh yeah go see it and he was also bones in the abram star trek <laughs> so number five i have mission impossible rogue nation i remember seeing that in theaters and you know what can you say tom cruise big stunts big action it's also fun i feel like i'm gonna end up repeating myself here but i mean it's action they're all kind of similar in a certain way uh, four, I have Spectre. That actually was definitely my favorite of this decade's Bond films. I'm not sure about favorite overall among the Craig movies, but it's definitely uh, a contender yeah, for I, me. I, I just think for me, Casino Royale just has the best static of all of them. I think it's just a cool concept. Um, obviously, it had been done before. I think that was uh, Sean Connery did uh, the original Casino Royale, if I'm not mistaken. Uh but, you know, I think Daniel Craig did really well, and it was his first appearance as Bond, so there's that. Um, yeah, no, Spectre I thought was really good, though, one I really enjoyed. Number three, Mission Impossible, Fallout. There it is, yep. You already talked about that, so I won't repeat. Great movie, stepped it up from the last one even more. Number two, Mad Max, Fury Road. Great adrenaline-fueled ride throughout the whole thing. I actually went and watched... All three of the uh, Mel Gibson Mad Max movies before seeing that one. And it's most like number two, which was Road Warrior. So if you've ever seen that movie, which most people listening to this probably haven't, think of that, but like stepped up times ten. And that's what you get. And number one, The Expendables 2. Was that a surprise? Yeah, a little bit, actually. I didn't think you'd put uh, an Expendables movie as your like favorite action movie of the decade. Yeah, and the reason being is because I've seen a lot of those, you know, actors, of course, individually in their own action films. And to me, that's like the Avengers of action movies. It's everyone there. Arnold gets his time. Um, Bruce Willis gets his time. Stallone's there. Uh, who else? Jet, Jet Li? Yeah, he's in it, of course. Dolph Lundgren. Everyone from the first movie is back except Mickey Rourke. Not a big deal. And it's just the first movie, but more. And that's why it's there. And I thought it was pretty great an honorable mention for me was a movie called immortals you ever heard of that can't say that i have so it's another thing like 300 where it's kind of the whole greek mythology type thing but of course 300 is more historically based and immortals it was the more mythology based about you know gods and everything i think it's um not perseus maybe theseus i don't know i might be remembering wrong but it's essentially about this guy who kind of you know, rises to combat this uh, evil king played by Mickey Rourke. And essentially, he goes through that journey and eventually rises to godhood because he was born as a demigod. And it's actually played by Henry Cavill. That was his uh, first major appearance before Superman. So had to stick that on because it's probably not that well known, but a pretty decent movie from what I remember, even though my memory is really foggy. Now, you're probably wondering on both of our lists, where's John Wick? Where the hell is John Wick? Now, I think I've explained before in the past that my brother is the one who got me into a lot of these things, you know, superheroes, action movies, sci-fi. So he is what I consider to be the absolute authority on action movies. He has like all of them from the 80s, 90s, 2000s. He's got everything on video. He's seen it all. So clearly he would have a more definitive list than I would. And that's why I'm going to read it off here. So he says... Best action movies of the 2010s. He has number one, Mad Max Fury Road, because in his opinion, he felt that it did something that we hadn't really seen before, or at least, you know, not any time recently. That was just pure high-octane adrenaline. And that he thinks most people would put it as number one. I kind of agree. I had it as my number two. 
So for his, number two was The Expendables 2, in case you can't tell, him and I have a lot of similar tastes. Number three, he has John Wick. He says, those are my top three, the rest are in the top ten, but not ranked in any particular order. He has Dread, Mission Impossible Fallout, Edge of Tomorrow, which we discussed, John Wick Chapter 2 and 3, Skyfall, and Red, which if you haven't heard of Red, it was like this movie about retired spies that starred Bruce Willis, John Malkovich, a couple of other people who I'm not remembering. I remember seeing it and I liked it. And he closes by saying John Wick dominates the 2010s and that every one of those movies deserves to be in the top 10. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of the John Wick movies. I feel like I've talked about it before. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Mad Max either. I get why they're on his top 10. I get that why they're uh, – well, I get why Mad Max is on yours. But, uh, you know, for, and for me, I'm just not a fan of the whole generic action thing. I, I get that that's for a lot of people, but uh, – you know, uh, I, I I don't know. This is why I had trouble putting together my uh, top 10 action list to begin with. You know? Yeah, understandable. But I had to put it in there because, you know, a lot of what we talk about is, like, I feel like superhero movies are the new action of our era. Because, of course, in the 80s, you had Stallone, right, Schwarzenegger, yeah. Bruce Willis, all those kinds of things. And of those were just the new westerns of the 80s. There's always going to be some kind of cool hero doing cool stuff genre, yeah. kind of movies that are around. So, for that reason, yep. those were our categories. Those were our top tens. What did you think? Don't send us hate mail <laughs> if you didn't agree. But, uh, yeah, it's been a crazy yeah. decade for movies, franchises. I gotta say, I don't think the 2020s will be... Alright, here, here's what I think. Either the 2020s are gonna go even more balls to the waltz crazy, or it's gonna kind of have a simmering period where we're not going to see as much, you know, big over-the-top things because obviously the Marvel Universe kind of had its big conclusion. Star Wars, done. Like, what else are we going to see? Sonic! Sonic's the next big thing. Well, I mean, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I think Marvel is obviously gearing for a whole new phase that's going to start in 2020, which uh, is going to be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have too much else to leave us off on. I feel like... Uh, the next podcast of the decade could be, or the podcast of the new decade could be something completely different. In all honesty, it'll probably just be following up on Crisis, but I don't know. We might have talked about that enough already. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking for a while now, so uh, let's lead us out here. So if you're listening to this on New Year's Eve, if this is your New Year's Eve, uh, thanks for sticking with us. If it's midnight, we're going to do the countdown right now. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Ten, nine. Hey, seven six five four three two one. Happy New Year! Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, so I feel like no one in their right mind would have listened to this podcast for this long. If you did, thanks for sticking around. Uh, and if you did listen for this long and are just stumbling upon this for the first time, check out our social media. We have a link tray, uh, and if you're not familiar with what that is, l i n k t r dot e e slash utterly nonsense. You can find all of our links to all of our podcasting platforms and social media pages. We do this for free. We do this because we like doing this. So, you know, we're not asking for much. You can tell in the tone of of his voice how much we like doing this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so with all that being said, uh, for the last time of the 2010s, Ape Music, play us out.